Hey, everyone. I just wanted to let you know this episode is recorded at a bar. And during the first five minutes of the interview, there were several folks that came in and chatted with the bartender. So it's a little bit noisy, but only for the first five minutes. And then after that, the bar is pretty empty and it's quiet and you can hear everything very clearly. So hang in there for the welcome slash intro to the episode, and then at the five-minute mark, it will get much easier to hear. Welcome back, everybody, to the Drink and Learn podcast. I'm drinks historian Elizabeth Pierce, and today I am delighted to be joined by Kate Perry. Hi. <laughs> Kate is the uh, brand ambassador. No, you should tell me, because I don't have your card, so I can't read your exact <laughs> title. So tell me, oh, oh, wait, before I get into that, yeah. I should say that we are recording uh, live uh, as opposed to dead, I guess. Well, yeah. it's not really live because no it's one wants to record it's, dead. It's free, <laughs> but it would be in the theme for this month. So we are recording uh, here at the Domino, which is uh, the second bar opened by Cole Newton, T. Cole Newton. And you can scroll back a few episodes and find that interview that I did with Cole earlier this year when we talked about trends for drinking trends for 2019. Awesome. Some of which may or may not be, well, the CBD one, we're still waiting to see how that pans out. Yeah. I feel like that could all go awry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a pretty fierce domino player, so I was pretty excited when you suggested this place. Yeah. I've been here before and... It gets a little intense, but it's good. It's really mellow in here right now, so that's it, nice. Yeah, it's empty. Um, but at on Friday night, it's like three deep at the bar. But yeah. if you're if you come to New Orleans, you should definitely uh, make your way here. So, um, Kate, tell us your uh, title. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so I have the privilege of representing uh, two spirits companies from Europe. I work for Le Maison de Whiskey, which is a really beautiful uh, retailer, importer, and distributor based in uh, France. They have two gorgeous retail shops in Paris. They have a shop in Singapore and a shop in Reunion Island off the coast of uh, South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, so they teamed up with the iconic spirits uh, company Velier based in Italy. The two companies got together to create the very creatively named uh, La Maison and Velier. Right. So I manage North America for La Maison and Velier. So that's a lot of territory. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. It started off as just New York, uh -huh. and then it was just New York and California. Mm -hmm. And then this year, I've been very busy opening up new markets. So we're in eight markets right now, about to be 10, mm -hmm. um, plus a little dabble up in a up in Quebec, Montreal. Oh, Montreal is such a yeah. great, great city. Yeah, I just was up there um, a couple months ago with a f some friends. Um, they invited us to come up and do this like whole day on rum education. Mm -hmm. And man, the hospitality up there, was, I, I was blown away by how cool it was, how excited and engaged everyone was. 
they somehow convinced about 50 bartenders to show up at 10 o'clock in the morning for a full day of just education. Yeah. And it was a packed house. Yeah. It was wild. Um, I had the great pleasure to live in Montreal for a month (gasps) in the summer of 2016, which is definitely the time that this cold-averse lady should be living in Montreal. <laughs> um, but I have dear, a dear friend who lives and works there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a great town, everybody. So if you go haven't been, you should go. Um, but the, the way that I got to meet Kate, and the reason Kate is on the podcast is not just because... If she was going to talk about all of her brands, that would be... Well, that would be very long. Yeah, but that would be hours and hours. <laughs> but uh, I asked her to come on because um, I got really excited when I found out that she is representing um, a cane spirit out of Haiti, True. which is spelled C-L-A-R-I-N. And I knew about it because uh, Lee, who many of you have heard me talk about, my husband, is a big fan of Cane Spirits, and got we got turned on to it. Um, where did we get turned on to it? I don't even remember now, but he tried it and adored it, and could, we could only get it in New York. Yeah. So... Um, in fact, the last time I, I left New York, I came back with a bottle because he loves it so much. And I thought, I can only get it in New York. But guess what? Now it's available here. Now it's in the world. It's yay. <laughs> and so the reason I spelled it is, first of all, because it's a French word. And um, But you, you'll, you, should know, you will know what it is because it's also in the title of this episode, which you will see if you ever download or, you know, when you open your app. But I also spelled it because the pronunciation can be... A little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. In the U.S., we say Claren. Mm-hmm. Um, in France, they say Clahon. In Haiti or Haiti, they say Clahé. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, too, because uh, Haitian Creole isn't really a written language, so you can sp- see it spelled K-L-E-R-E-N-C-L-I-R-I-N-C-L-I-A-I-R-I-N. Mm-hmm. Lots of different spellings, because um, it's not really a written language it's more spoken uh so it's all the same thing but it's the local spirit of haiti um so my my two companies let me send whiskey and valier uh partnered with a third company based in port-au-prince um it's this wonderful little family there they're so sweet um and they have this beautiful little compound where they collect the liquid from the producers that we work with it's all bottled and labeled there um, with some other fun projects, um, some aging, and a little new distillery that we opened there. So it's a partnership project between a Haitian family, the producers, Lemme Sandois Game Valier, um, to share the local spirit of Haiti, to share Claren with the world for really the first time. Um, the spirit of Haiti is the name of the company that I have the pleasure of representing um and it started to be bottled 2012 but it was only available in europe um available in the u.s in 2018 available in new orleans about two months ago which is super exciting for Mm -hmm. me so can you tell us a little bit um not a little bit like uh, what is Claren? It, so it is its own spirit category, and that's the reason that I really wanted to have you on here since we've been making, Abigail and I have been making our way through the spirits. Yeah. If you can talk a little bit more about, um, if you can talk a little bit about what makes Claren special, distinct. Definitely. So if you 
are in Haiti and you want to drink Claren, you would typically grab a, a plastic water bottle, a jug. Uh, you would go to the town emporium or to a distillery. You would fill it up. You would go home and you would drink Claren. Um, if you're in a small village, maybe there's just one or two little distilleries. If you're in a larger village, maybe there's, I don't know, 15, 20 more people, so you're more thirsty. Um, and that's been how Claren has been consumed for 300 years or so. Um, so it's a very old spirit, even if it's new to us. Um, in the rest of the Caribbean, there's about 50 working distilleries in the Caribbean basin on the islands that produce all of the brands of Caribbean rum in the world. Um, but in Haiti, there's still who knows how many. Uh, the estimates are about 500 little uh, shacks, little small distillery, gildives they call them, that produce the local spirit of Haiti. Um, so it's made from sugar. And um, it's funny because today's actually Columbus Day. And I would argue that the only good thing Columbus ever did was bring sugar cane to the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought it there in 1493, planted it, it did very well. Um, And in the rest of the Caribbean, typically you use hybrid sugar cane that's made for the production of rum and for sugar. Um, But in Haiti, they still have the old varietals of sugar cane. Um, So it's very localized. If you're up in the mountains, you're gonna have different sugar cane that's down uh, in the south, on the near the beaches near the water inland so there's a big diversity of sugarcane that grows there so claren is made from that um, from the local sugarcane of your village um, it's its own spirit in that cachaça is a spirit of brazil and rum agricole is the spirit of the french territories of martinique and guadeloupe mm-hmm. reunion canary islands um and Claren is the local spirit of Haiti. Uh, Gragu is the local spirit of Cape Verde. Um, on the continental uh, South Americas, they have a bunch of really cool aguardientes. Maybe someday there'll be enough push of those that they'll have its own name of a spirit. Um, so it's very diverse. It's interesting. So I got to sit in on a presentation that Kate did uh, last week on Claren for a bunch of bartenders. And I was really... Uh, I was delighted to learn why there are so many distilleries on Haiti compared to the rest of the Caribbean and why there are so many varieties of sugarcane um, on the island compared to the rest of the Caribbean or southern Louisiana, where sugarcane is also grown, and how, the, um, if you listened to, go back and listen to the Sazerac episode, we talk about the influence of how New Orleans and Southern Louisiana were transformed indirectly by this revolution um, that happens down there in the late 1700s. But I thought it was cool that that also ultimately leads to the current distilling scenario in Haiti. Um, So, yeah, can you talk a little bit about how uh, this Haitian revolution that transformed Louisiana... And, and kind of in the United States, too, because the Louisiana Purchase happens as a result of that. Um, how did that ultimately lead to the distilling scenario situation in uh, Haiti? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, if you were to go back to 18th century production in the Caribbean, um, y- you would find that they essentially cut down all of the trees, leveled everything to plant as much sugarcane as possible. And so if you were to go to Barbados, there'd be hundreds of distilleries in Jamaica, hundreds of distilleries pumping out as much 
wealth in the form of sugar and rum as possible. You know, the Europeans brought sugarcane there, they brought distillation there, um, and they started just mining out wealth from this region um, in the form of sugar and rum. Mm -hmm. And so with the centralization of sugar production, where if you went back to you know, Barbados, there wouldn't be a single tree on the island. It would just all be sugarcane. It would be lots of different little uh, sugarcane plantations. These would all have a little uh, sugar mill and manufacturing attached to it so that they could produce sugar. And then there would be a little distillery uh, that would turn the waste or molasses mm -hmm. into rum. Um, where everything's centralized, now there's you know, four distilleries in Barbados and six distilleries in Jamaica and seven in Martinique, well, eight Martinique now. Um, but where the rest of the world changed and centralized um, for the commodity, this didn't happen in Haiti. Haiti's the only Caribbean country that rebelled against the colonialists and won their independence. So in 1804, uh, the Haitian Revolution was successful. The French couldn't say, okay, we're going to acknowledge you and trade with you and treat you like, you know, a respected mm -hmm. uh, island country now. And so they got swept under the rug and... Uh, it was the same with the United States, yeah, too you know, economically suppressed um, so extremely that they still haven't recovered from that. But if you think about it exactly, like Haiti and the U.S. were the only two countries to rebel against the colonialists and win the revolution, mm -hmm. which is incredible. Yes. Um, so where the rest of the world changed, things didn't change in Haiti because they were economically isolated. Mm -hmm. um, so they still have old varietals of sugarcane um, they still use the natural yeast in the air. They don't use selected or baker's yeast, except for a few bigger industrial distilleries near the cities. Um, they still use the same technology that the French brought to Haiti in the 1700s. Their little stills that they use to produce Claren look remarkably like, you know, what a cognac still in the 1750s would look like. It's mm -hmm. wild. So, you know, we always say that they're so in the past that now they're the future. You know, they essentially skipped two centuries of industrialization, so now they're everything that we love about local spirits. It's organic not to be organic, but organic because pesticides and fertilizers and chemicals never arrived there because uh, the borders have been closed. Um, you know, we love uh, localization and local production methods in mezcal and natural wines and you know all of these very terroir driven spirits and Haiti has an incredible wealth of biodiversity and wealth of delicious claren because of their past um, because it's basically skipping over two centuries of industrialization so that everything is still pure and delicious. Um, you mentioned that the stills are the stills are the stills of the past. Yeah. But there was a still that you uh, told us about that is sort of the still of the present or the still of the maybe future. Maybe it's the still of the future. I don't know. Or, um, or post uh, dystopia or in our dystopian future. Yes. Post apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, you please tell. Yeah, we uh, we work with this. one um, producer uh, named Fritz Vaval. And his claret is so beautiful. Um, he produces in a little town called Cavaillon, which is on the southern coast. It's just like two kilometers off of the coast. So when you drink it, it, it tastes exactly like where it comes from. It's salty and minerally and briny and delicious. And when um, 
when my boss, Luca Gargano, arrived there, he said, hey, Fritz, why does your still look like this? And, and, and when you say like this, yes. because we um, maybe you can share a visual at some point. I'll yeah. put it up on uh, for me. It looks like um, it looks like R two D two. It's this wild big still. All of the other stills look very very similar to each other. Um, his just looks incredibly different. Um, and we said, "Where did you get this still?" And he said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, all of the other stills look more or less the same. Why is this, why is yours different?" He said, "I don't know. I made it." <laughs> So Fritz is essentially um, the MacGyver of mm-hmm. rum producers. Um, he built his own still. All of the other stills are powered by direct fire, where they're feeding wood and bagasse um, to underneath the still to heat it. And bagasse is and the bagasse is the the spent sugar cane. So after you press it, you have the f- fibers. Um, you dry them out, and you can burn them, which you have to be a little bit careful about because wood will burn really evenly, but bagasse is so uh, flammable. Mm-hmm. If you toss it into a fire, it's like tossing newspaper into, yeah. your, into your fireplace. So it burns really hot and really quick, um, which is perfect for uh, Fritz because rather than feeding his still with direct fire, he feeds it with steam. And in order to do so, he parked a locomotive engine of a steam train next to his still, <laughs> and he took the wheels off. So right, he, so it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, so <laughs> it's encased in a concrete, but um, it's the only train-powered still I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, but it makes absolutely delicious liquid, so he's kind of my hero. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is Fritz Vival. Fritz Vival. And that is one of the Clarins. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we work with four producers. We work with Michelle Sajus, who's up in the north in a town called Samichel de Atalay. We work with Fritz Vival down on the south coast. Um, if you just go to the north side of the south fork of the coast, uh, we work with a producer there named Faubert Casimir, who produces really... Um, savory, jungly, funky Claren, mm-hmm. uh, which hopefully will be coming back to the market soon. And then we work with a fourth producer um, in the town of Pignon. Uh, he named his distillery Le Rocher. So we also have the Claren of Le Rocher owned by Romulus Bethel. Um, so these names are, with the exception of Le Rocher, mm-hmm. chosen names. Yes. Um, these are all the surnames of the producers. Of the producers, yeah. yeah. And you decided to do that rather than give them their, I don't know, just some, like, awesome Claren. Right. Or yeah. the super deluxe Claren. Yeah, it would have been easier I would easier be terrible at naming, it, right? clearly. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be great. Um, it would have been easier, you know, to say Velier Claren or... I don't know, Claren Voodoo or something like this, but that's just not our style. It's it's about them. They're partners in the company. Um, they've traveled the world with us sharing stories of Claren um, and introducing it around the world. So they're super involved. Um, I feel like we're just the middlemen to make it possible to share it in a bottle outside of Haiti for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a couple of other Claren producers that have released in the U.S., even just this past summer, which is really exciting, as a category with 500-plus producers, who knows how many, it's one of the most um, diverse categories possible. So I love that there's more voices coming in and more stories being told. So there's a couple of of other brands of Claren in the market now, which is cool. Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about how it, how it was brought to market? Like the story, who who is it that said, you know what, 
I'm going to start selling Claren. Yeah, you know, if you're traveling around the Caribbean, people will tell you um, that Haiti is poor and Haiti is dangerous and you shouldn't go to Haiti. And um, this is not true at all. I've had the privilege of going twice and it's one of the most beautiful um it's just such a beautiful place the people are incredible um there's a a resilience to it that is just astonishing uh the countryside is gorgeous the coast is beautiful the food is some of the best food i've had in the caribbean here the the chicken still tastes like chicken and the pineapple still tastes like pineapple and the limes aren't just sour. You know, the limes have so much complexity to it. Our limes are sour. Theirs has a million flavors. Our sugar is sweet. Their sugar is super complex. Um, so here it's a, you know, people tell you that Haiti is poor, which maybe it's poor of a, in terms of a GDP, but in terms of biodiversity, they're an incredibly rich place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that for for my boss, uh, Luca Gargano, people told him don't go to Haiti. So of course he wanted to go to Haiti. Yeah. Um, I like to think of him as the Indiana Jones of of spirits people. He's he's a wild and charismatic and um, adventurous spirit. Mm-hmm. So he uh, started going to Haiti. Um, with my colleague Daniele Biondi and they arrived to Haiti because everyone said don't go there and they mm-hmm. said okay we have to go and they rented a jeep and they started driving around and in Haiti when you smell sugar cane boiling you can pull over to the side of the road and you know go in between a forest of cane and there's going to be a clearing with a little distillery uh, producing claren mm-hmm. if you are in villages with no electricity they might still have an old wooden mill which is pretty common to see um, up in the north where they're using two cows to crush the cane and spinning wooden rollers um, so it's very I mean it's very romantic mm-hmm. um, because it's just not something that you see really outside of museums to see wooden mills and the way that they've been producing hasn't really changed since the 18th century. So Claren is the local spirit of Haiti, but it's also like a glimpse back in time to how spirits would have tasted because this is the only way that you can produce them, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you crush the sugar-producing thing that's local to you. Right. You use the natural yeast of your area to ferment it because selected yeast hadn't been invented yet. And then you distill it and you drink it off of the still. Um, so it's also like a, a glimpse into the past of, of rum and of spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, so Luca realized this. Luca's huge into natural wine too. So he loved the, the terroir-driven uh, spirit of this where it's sort of at the crossroads of where natural wine meets the spirits world in terms mm-hmm. of the local cane that grows nearby, the natural yeast in your village, and also the terroir of your mind because a producer in the north might make it differently than down in the south. Uh, there's not a lot of exchange of information or technique between them. So you make it as, you know, the past generation, the past generation did. So it's a mental terroir too. Um, and he just, he just got crazy for it. Uh, in the first couple of years, he was in Haiti more than he was in Italy where he lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just started visiting as many small distilleries as possible, tasting claren and meeting people, um, you know, singing and dancing and yeah. being Luca. 
How did he? So how did he decide on the the first few to uh, to present? Yeah, to carry or represent a couple of different reasons. Um, the first being uh, the size of the distillery. I mean, some of these distilleries are just tiny, tiny, tiny. You know, they produce maybe for their family or for a very small village. So it would be quite impossible to um, have enough liquid to be able to sell it, you know, in, in Italy and in France and now in Europe and now in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so the size of the distillery, their uh, production capacity is kind of the first thing. They yeah. had to be a little bit on a not big scale by any means. I mean, we're sitting at the Domino and a distillery would probably fit in this room like maybe two, maybe three times. Mm -hmm. So not big distilleries by any means, but big enough where they would be able to uh, have the production needed um, for when Claren becomes a household world someday. Um, And then the second thing is the, you know, the human connection. Mm -hmm. Uh, Were they interested in the project? Were they interested in uh, bottling Claren for the first time? Um, Mm -hmm. did they want to travel to Rome and Paris and London and New York and, you know, be part of the release of Claren into the global market for the first time? Um, so were they interested? Yeah. Well, um, you were talking earlier about each, each, um, distillery is calling on generations of tradition of distilling, um, and, all of these are men. Is it mostly the men who are doing the distilling? I have yet to meet a, a female distiller. Okay. I do not know that that doesn't exist. Well, um, you got 500, so there's... Yeah. You know. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> if she's out there, I want to meet her. Yeah. <laughs> I, it just occurred to me that when we were looking at um, your presentation, that yeah. it was... And I mean, that's frankly true across the distilling world. Yeah. Not just in Haiti. Yeah. Not throwing Haiti under the bus. No, definitely thing. not. I mean, it's definitely a, uh, a male-run industry, which I find a, a fun challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, I show up, I'm just like, hi, I'm Kate. <laughs> Let's talk about rum. People sometimes don't quite know what to do with me, but, you know, around the world, I think that you know, women are getting a seat at the table a little bit more Mm -hmm. than in the past. And, you know, I have my heroes of female uh, rum people in the world. You know, Maggie Campbell up in uh, Massachusetts with Privateer Rum is doing incredible stuff. Karen Hoskin in Colorado is amazing. Um, I get to work closely with Hamden Estate, um, which is, you know, kind of represented by Christelle Harris, um, Gail Seal from Foursquare is a good friend of mine. So there's a lot of of women kind of taking a little bit more of the stage, which is really nice. But mm-hmm. I haven't found any uh, any Haitian female distillers yet. Although when I was up in Montreal, mm-hmm. um, we have a little bit of Claren coming into Montreal. And our distributor up there um, is called Bella Vida. Mm-hmm. And uh, itself of all works for Bella Vida. So when I did a presentation up there, I got to do a presentation with Fritz Waval's daughter, oh, okay. which was very, very cool for me. Um, and she did is just such a wonderful, lovely human. So that was really fun. Did you go to, isn't it Agricole? Yeah. 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 So um, Agricole is a really fantastic Haitian 
restaurant. Yes, it's so um, delicious. That is run by, um, depending on how you look at it, it's either a full-time project or a side project by the band... Arcade Fire. Arcade Fire. Yeah. Um, which, uh, who spends quite a bit of time here in New Orleans, I've too. heard that. Yeah, they're yeah. part-time residents down yeah. here. Um, but Agricole was delicious. Yes. It was so good. The food was delicious. Um, they have another spot, or they had another spot in Toronto as well, mm. called Rum Corner. Okay. Which I went to, too. Kind of a similar vibe. I'm not sure if they're still involved in that, but also, like, super delicious, really good food. Um yeah, it was, it was wild to be in Montreal and to be eating Haitian food that right. was legit. I mean, it, it was yeah, really good. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so how did you get into this world? How did you get this job? This is a thing people <laughs> ask me a lot. Um, I, I, I sort of jumped into a, into a rum hole and have never wanted to climb out. Um, I was managing bars in Seattle, Washington for a couple of years. Um, I was involved in the industry on the other side of the bar there um, starting in 2007. Um, In 2012, um, we opened a little rum concept called Rumba. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting up in the office and my uh, previous boss walking into the office and saying, "Uh, hey, Kate. I found this space and I just signed a lease. And I was like, oh yeah? What are you thinking? And he was like, what do you think about a rum bar? And I didn't really respond to him. I just sort of went online and started looking at airplane tickets. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm looking up tickets to the Caribbean. He was like, for what? And I was like, because if we're going to do a rum concept, we're going to do it right. Me, like most bartenders I know, you know, my blind spot is rum. And we're as far away from the Caribbean as you can really get Mm -hmm. so I want to go there and I want to do this right and he sort of laughed at me and then like 10 minutes later came back upstairs and said you know what I have a wife and two kids I can't take off to the Caribbean but you absolutely should go yeah um so I booked tickets I went to five different islands and I showed up at all the islands and they said it was the off seasons they said what are you doing here yeah there's no tourists here I said, well, I heard that you guys make the best rum in the world. They said, yes, yes, we do. Come with mm-hmm. me. And oh, I just said yeah, this on every right. island. Yes, yeah. that's how you get in. Yeah, that's how you get in. It was fun. Um, but I just uh, fell in love with, uh, with rum, with the cultures, with the people. Um, I studied anthropology and geography in college because mm-hmm. I wanted to be Indiana Jones. And then I fell in love with rum. So now I basically just work for Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. <laughs> safer. Yeah. Safer. Yeah. Um, so that was really great. Um, I managed that bar for five years. Um, I think right now they have about 700 uh, different bottles of rum on their back bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of the bigger collections from around the world. Um, and there was this sort of, you know, I was bringing stuff in through my suitcase which is totally legal um and well if you declare it it is yeah and you can I mean I'm not gonna ask you what you did yeah but um I have learned market you know I have also learned that it's not so this is just for everybody to know when you uh come uh through customs you should declare everything you have totally because uh it's only a couple of bucks per bottle 
beyond because you're you're allowed two bottles duty free right and then after that you have to pay but like you should just pay yeah because maybe it's four or five dollars but presumably the reason that you are schlepping this very large glass bottle uh full of heavy liquid uh across a continent or an ocean or whatever is because you can't get it where you live. Totally. So do you want the customs uh, officers to take it? Probably not. No. So yeah. pay your it's little the risk. Pay your little duty. <laughs> For sure. It was not a risk. That's yeah. what I'm th- I, I, had, oh, I was yeah. bored and I had a conversation with a customs officer. Yes. And yeah, so you should pay the tax because it's not... Um, it's not exorbitant. Yeah, no, it's it's very, very affordable yeah. to do it. Okay. And I was shoving as much of these heavy liquid-filled <laughs> bottles into my suitcase on my travels as I possibly could. And, you know, the stuff that just excited me the most, the stuff that made me just say, wait, this is different. What is this? Like, I need to sit down and think about this for a minute. Um it all had this little word Velier written on the back. And mm. so all the stuff that I just got most excited about, uh, you know, running a rum bar all said this little word Velier. So I realized that sort of in the world of rum, any sort of little rabbit hole that you jump down, you end up coming across this word Velier, um, and it's owner Luca Gargano. And I just, got obsessed with them um, just because I thought that they were doing the most progressive, cool, respectful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always said, no, nah, I'm, I'm never going to go to the other side. I, I'm not interested in working on the supplier side or being a brand ambassador or any of that. The only company I would ever do it for would be Velier, but mm-hmm. they're never coming to the U.S., so I'm safe. <laughs> and then they said, we're coming to the U.S., and I said, oh, no. Okay. Um, and I, I'd gotten to know them a little bit, and I actually um, I came to Tails because I knew that Luca was going to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, I entered into a Tea Punch Cup with Spare mm-hmm. Bomb, mm-hmm. Um, who I love dearly, yeah. and I won West Coast, so I got to come compete in the finals here. Um, what year was that? That was 2017. Okay. Is that right? Eight, 16? I can't remember. Um came in second it was really fun mm-hmm. but I really wanted the excuse to come and yeah. meet up with Luca and you know somebody told me that during Tales of the Cocktail if you need to meet someone if you want to run into someone go to the Hotel Monteleone at 1 30 in the morning and they will appear and so I decided to test this theory mm-hmm. and I went to the Monteleone um at 1 I I called my friend Zan from Worthy Park and said where are you um I'm like wingman me mm-hmm. I'm, I'm testing out a theory here and he said I'm on my way I'll be right there and so two minutes later Luca walked in by himself yeah he said Kate what are you doing I said Luca he said let's go to the carousel bar I said oh well I'm meeting Zan you know <laughs> and he said yeah 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 Zan will come too so we just sat there uh, drinking gin and tonics until silly o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. as one does yeah. um, talking and Uh, I got back to Seattle, I gave my notice, and I moved to New York um, about six weeks later to start working for Le Maison and Velier. So I I have the best job in the world. I love it. I absolutely love it. So I'd like to hear two two things about the future. One is, I mean, we've already talked... 
we, we've had the one um, uh, spooky coincident, like, testing the theory of, like, making a prediction and having it come true, which Uh-oh. is the carousel bar yes. Luca run-in. But I'd like to hear where you see yourself, well, maybe not yourself, that's, um, but Maison Vellier, like, what, or this is not even necessarily a prediction. This is you just saying, this is where we think we're going to end up. And these are the, are you going to be bringing in some new expressions, new, new folks? Are you sticking with the four? Like, I'd like to hear that path. And then I don't, I'm mentioning this now because I don't want to forget to circle back. Um, when we, you gave your talk at the Avenue Pub, you did have some concerns about the future of Claren. Yeah. So I'd like, to, I'd like you to share those as well. Totally. So, you know, sort of bottling a, a local spirit um, that has ties to local communities and real people, like, that's not something that we take lightly. Um, so it, it has to be done with, with respect and in partnership. Uh, you know, it's, it's their liquid. Um, we just serve as a sort of catalyst to help them bottle it and get it bottled and share it and speak to it. Um, but it also sort of opens up the spirit um, to the world, which, you know, if you look at what happened in Mescal, you go to Mescal 20 years ago, no one, everyone thought Mescal was the thing with the worm in it, right? Mm -hmm. And now there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brands of Mescal. Um, So to me, it sort of seems like Claren could follow that same path, Mm -hmm. Um, which on one side I think is great because, you know, 20 years ago in Oaxaca, um, it was a very different situation than all of the the tourism and the hotels and the restaurants and the great food and the great scene and have that all be pivoted around a spirit is really amazing. You know, people go to Oaxaca because they want to experience mezcal, right. uh, which is incredible. And so on one hand, I would love to see that happen um, with Claren where they could build a, a, a tourism industry and... Um, you know, they could be known for the local spirit that they've always produced would be, uh, that would warm my heart. But on the flip side of that, um, there's also the danger that, you know, maybe the government would say, okay, we can make some money off of Claren now. Um, so let's start the first ever uh, TTB IET or the oh, Tax sh- and Trade should, Bureau, yeah, right? Yeah, you say what TTB. And uh, so let's start the first ever organization to... Um, regulate and tax all of this stuff Mm -hmm. and all of you small producers have to pay us I don't know a a dollar per gallon or something which would wipe out all of these small producers who you know they're rich in terms of biodiversity but they don't have dollars in their pocket to pay a dollar per gallon this Mm -hmm. would wipe everybody out or they might say you know for your safety you can't use the natural wild yeast in the air you have to use um, selected yeast and right. you have to buy it from us of course and this would also uh, endanger all of the small uh, distilleries or maybe some uh, foreign company will come in and put in a big multi-column still and charge a, you know $11 a liter and wipe out what authentic traditional Claren is right. um, so there's a lot of kind of 
dangers associated with it, all we can do is talk about how, you know, wonderful and beautiful and authentic this uh, local spirit is and share our love and our passion for Haiti um, and hope that people also treat it with respect. Um, there are two brands of Claren that just hit the U.S. market this mm-hmm. summer, and both of them are super, super respectful. You know, it's the producer's name. Um, they're from small places. They're using traditional Claren. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that so far the trend is going that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with any spirit, it's gonna get it's going to get complicated. And to have a category of spirit, there has to be more than... Uh, one voice. So mm-hmm. I welcome um, other Claren coming into the market. I just, it's important to me that it's all treated with the respect in the same way that we respect the producers that we work with. Can you try to describe what makes Claren different from uh, what, so for many listeners, they have a very specific idea of what rum is. Yeah. And though Abigail and I tried to uh, explain in the rum episode that there's a lot more rum yeah. out there than you would think. But I would say that rum is like sandwiches. Like <laughs> the diversity of it is wild. Like yeah. there's a rum for everyone because there's so many different places and production methods and cultures and styles that exist that like the category of rum means about as much as the category of sandwiches. Yeah. Like maybe a meatball sub isn't your thing, but you're really into Italian clubs. I don't know. Yeah, or like, grilled cheese. Or grilled BD, cheese. Yes. Like going in a different direction. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So what is Claren like? So, so 95 of the, 95% of the world's rum is produced from molasses. Um, only a little bit of it is produced from fresh uh, juice. And there's a handful of producers that use syrup. Um, so a lot of people like to tell me that Claren is the rum agricole of Haiti, which isn't really correct. Um, Claren in Haiti can be produced from sugarcane juice or from syrup. And a lot of places will do both depending on the season. Um, and so the only thing that Claren really has in common with rum agricole is that sometimes they're both made from juice, but not always. Um, rum agricole is a really... Um, a very strict uh, form of production. Rum agricole means something very specific in the French islands, in Martinique Mm -hmm. and Guadeloupe. Um, It's a very rigorous uh, production method that's followed very, very closely by the French government. Um, So there's lots and lots of rules in rum agricole. But it's made on a a traditional column still. Um, It's made from uh, different hybrid sugar canes that are approved. I think there's 22 different ones now. This, this is still um, uh, the rum agricole. Of agricole, yeah. yeah. Um, so you get this really beautiful uh, terroir-driven spirit, um, and sometimes you can find a little bit of similarities in some claren. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's presumably depending on the sugar cane that they're yeah, using. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like for me, uh, Michelle Sajus's claren is maybe more familiar to people who've tried rum agricole before because coming from his area it tends to be pretty like green and grassy and botanical like mm-hmm. I find rum agricole to be yeah um but with 500 plus producers in all sorts of terroir the diversity of the spirit is really wild it's a lot of sandwiches um, it's a lot of sandwiches <laughs> for sure um but 
being made on a little pot still, you get an incredible intensity of spirit. Yeah. Um, being made with the natural yeast, you know, the natural yeast here at the Domino would be different than the natural yeast in that park across the street. So it varies uh, producer to producer, village to village. So mm-hmm. you can't make the claren of Fritz Favall in the village of Saint-Michel because everything is different. Right. The sugarcane varietal, the natural yeast, the terroir of Fritz's mind versus Michelle's mind. Um, so it's all very different. But... Um, it's also interesting because at least the Claren that we um, bottle has never had any water added to it. So there's no dilution in the fermentation, and mm-hmm. then there's no dilution after the distillation. So if you were to stick your face underneath the still, underneath Fritz Favall's crazy R2-D2 <laughs> still, it's exactly what's in the bottle. So it's okay. a very intense spirit because yeah. it's also at still proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not diluted or brought down to proof at all. Um, so I, I typically would describe Claren in general as, um, a super flavorful, intense, savory, um, terroir driven spirit. Um, it has more, uh, I would say it has more intensity than a lot of agricole, um, due to the pot still, Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, they're both just different spirits. It's maybe more similar to, like, cachaça from the forest producers where they're making, you know, little cachaça. Brazil has, I think, 20,000 stills. Wow. Which is wild. Um, so the diversity of, of cane spirits is huge there, yeah. and it's huge in uh, Martinique. And That's it's a whole other story. Yeah. It's really cool, but, you know, if you look at these local spirits, um, there's really more in common with, with Claren as there is to Mescal, as there is to, you know, fruit spirits being produced in um, Eastern Europe mm-hmm. as yeah. Gragu and Cape Verde, because this is, this is how you would have produced, you know, you have the sugar-bearing thing in your backyard, you figure out how to coax those sugars out, you ferment it with the wild yeast in the air. You put it through a little pot still, and right. then you drink it. Yeah. Um, so there's more in common with local spirits um, than there is with probably Claren as to rum. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a great brand uh, called Paranubes coming out of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the still that Paranubes is produced on, it looks very, very similar to Claren. Um, I've seen a lot of mezcal stills that look very similar to that. Okay. Um, so it's sort of this lowest common denominator of production to produce a really uh, incredible terroir-driven spirit. Very distinctive. Very distinctive, yeah. So um, when you were... Pa- so one thing that was great about this presentation is it came with Claren. Yes. And uh, while when Lee sips it, and I do too at home... We tend to just drink it neat because then you can really appreciate its differences. But that doesn't mean that you have to. No. And you made some recommendations of uh, of how to use Claren in cocktails. And, and you said that there, I think there's now going to be a cocktail competition. So yeah. it's really broadening its totally. um, reach. Yeah, we've been doing a cocktail competition. Um, I think this is now going to be the sixth year. Um 
And when I was invited to go to Haiti um, in 2017, um, I got to participate in it, which was really fun. So it was me and seven bartenders from around Europe mm-hmm. having our, our finals in, in Jacques Mel in the beautiful Hotel Florita, mm-hmm. um, which I will never forget. Um, but we every year invite um, bartenders from around the world. It was just Europe. Um, this past year, a bartender from Singapore won, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we drank all the Claren in the U.S., so I didn't have any, so we couldn't participate because <laughs> <laughs> we were out. I had no bottles for it. It's just a really great <laughs> sentence. It sounds like... It's like we we had there was a challenge and we won. We won the challenge, yeah, yeah. We won the we won the real competition. Um, so hopefully this year um, we'll be able to have the competition here as well. Um, but it's really it's really fun. Um, you spend five days trucking around small villages of Haiti, meeting people, um, you know, playing soccer with the locals and having just the most amazing experience and then that culminates with a competition in Jacmel. So if somebody out there does get their hands on a bottle of Claren and like I said if you're here in New Orleans it's a Keefe and Company. Yeah um, Keefe and Company is so great. And I think are there uh, any bars that are uh, yeah Um, Manolito has it in a lime leaf daiquiri on their menu. Okay. Uh, Bar Marilou has it on their menu as well. Um, um, yeah, I was going to ask what you would, because they're so different, Yeah, for somebody who is, um, you know, the cocktail fan at home or is learning how to um, not be afraid to totally. mix drinks, um, what would you recommend to start? Would you start, start with a daiquiri or start with like yeah. something to... I would. I, I like to start with daiquiris. I think that it's a really good um, kind of first impression of how the rum is going to shine in a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, in Haiti, you would just drink Clahan on its own, typically just out of the plastic bottle into your mouth. Right. Um, so there's not really a culture of uh, mixology in Haiti yet, although... Um, the family that we work with in Haiti has two sons. Um, Herbert sort of manages all of our logistics, and he's gotten really into the distillation. Um, so he collects the liquid and sort of manages all of that. His brother um, wanted to be a bartender, and so he has opened up the very first cocktail bar in Haiti. In Port-au-Prince, and it's called Shakers, S H A K E R Z. So if y'all go to Haiti, go to Shakers because you can order a proper cocktail in the middle of Haiti, and it's wild. Yeah. And they do such a good job, and it is so much fun. Um, in Haiti, if you go to maybe hotel bars, you can drink rum sours, um, mm-hmm. which is essentially a daiquiri. They would usually do it over ice, usually with some sugar on the rim, um, usually with barbancourt because Haiti would never, or because Claren would never be bottled before, right? right? It's only in yeah. the plastic jar. Yeah. So yeah. You, that's not really too sexy to bring out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know. I feel like the right bar in the United States, yes. everybody would, be, would tell yes. there's a bar in Brooklyn that's just waiting to serve the Claren in a jug. Totally. You It'll be that. right next to the uh, Rum Jam Bagger Coal, the the three liter box of of rum jam yes (laughs) (laughs) it's so good (laughs) uh so yeah is there anything else that you want people to know like to take away about claren you know i 
think that the the kind of interest um, of the spirit really lies in the biodiversity of how it's made and where it comes from and the diversity of flavor in the bottle. Um, you know, Clarence Juice is really uh, kind of green and grassy. Vaval is really like salty and savory. Casimir is really like funky and rich. And then La Roche just tastes like barbecue potato chips. It's wild. So um, if you can find a spot where you can try them next to each other to kind of appreciate the diversity um, and really understand the scope of the flavors, like um, it's, it's really kind of hard to describe, but once you taste it, you're like, I get it. Like, cause it's just such a wild different flavor than what's expected, which I love that also about the category because having never really been mixed in cocktails and been seeing what my friends in Europe have been doing since 2012, cause they're lucky. And, Mm -hmm. uh, my friends here in the U S have been doing with Claren since last year, um, I love that the story of Claren is really still telling itself mm-hmm. um, and really actively right now on the world stage because this is the first time that people are mixing it in cocktails, that you can walk into a bar in New Orleans or in Brooklyn or in Paris and you can order a Claren drink off the menu, which you know I still get like teary-eyed about it because if you realize how far this liquid traveled to get here... It's really, really special. Um, and not only geographically. Not only geographically. Metaphorically. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's really wild. Um, so it, I just, I get all choked up all the time when I see it, like, behind can, the bar. Can you get it online? Yeah. There's a couple. Um, Aster Wine uh, will mm-hmm. ship to a couple different states. So that's a, a store in New York? Yeah. Really a- great A-S-T-O-R. store. A-S-T-O-R. Aster Wine. Totally. And I'll be sure and include that in the uh, show notes if you want to. And then I think Mm wine.com also just started listing it as well. Um, That's good because I always, um, I've always hated when I've listened to somebody talk about some food or drink that I cannot try. And then it just sounds like they're gloating. Right. No, (laughs) I want everybody to drink it. And let me know what you think. Um, You can find me on. Uh, the Facebooks at Kate Perry or on Instagram at When in Rum. I, I like. I know it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's W H E N I N R H U M. Oh, okay. Um, right. So cute. It is. <laughs> it's oh, been there for so long. I can't change it. No, now. I love a good pun. <laughs> Me That's too. Great. Uh, well, you answered the last question I was going to yeah. ask, which is how people can find you. Yeah, and, and let me know what you think. You know, if you grab some in the store and you try it and you're like what is going on and you want to talk to someone about it i i love talking about claren i yes. will talk to you about it all day long she I'm really does answer any questions you know we're we're very much an open book we love to share um wild nerdy spirits uh with the world and so it's my passion and i get so excited when people reach out to me and tell me you know, I had it in this bar and they did it in this crazy cocktail or I tried a flight of them. You know, I want to I want to experience it with you. So please reach out. Um, well, on that note, uh, you can also don't forget to reach out to me if you have any questions um, for Abigail and or I to answer uh, on future episodes at Drink and Learn across all the social medias. You're, uh, we also love it when 
Uh, you tag Drink and Learn because you're making that drink that you've never made before, especially if you make it with Claren. Yes. And um, uh, until next time, cheers, y'all. Cheers.